We looked at this 2018 study called Personal Pornography Viewing and Sexual Satisfaction, a quadratic analysis. It started out sexy, less sexy by the end of that title. <laughs> they had to clarify, like, this is this has math in it. Don't worry. Like, don't worry. You can put your boners away right now. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're not talking about good sex. We're talking about good enough sex. The good enough sex model was created in 2007 to help improve couples' sex lives by getting to the heart of what actually matters in sex. Respecting individual differences, moving away from traditional gender roles, and having more realistic expectations for the ups and downs of sex. I didn't even mean to. But. <laughs> wow. Good job. Good one. See, we don't, we don't talk about sex that often on this show. And so I do feel that in this right. opportunity, this little window of opportunity, all the middle school jokes are going to come out. We're getting yeah. all giggly here. Yeah. So prepare yourselves for that. <laughs> oh so basically, we're going to be taking a look at this good enough sex model and see what we can learn from it. So let's start at the beginning here. Why Why do we need good enough sex? Well, well I, I suppose that might be better than no sex at all. If you're a sexual person, if you're, you know, right. asexual or on the spectrum, then you don't need no good enough sex. Yeah, you just need good enough not sex. Good yeah. enough. Good enough relationships. Good enough yeah. relationships. Yeah. I feel like that's like good enough relationships is maybe the multi-amory tagline, you know, is that's <laughs> kind of what we're going for in general. So th- that is funny enough that you say that because that is something that the Gottman Institute says quite a mm. bit more specifically i've noticed on the training side rather than on the public facing side like in huh. because i've gone through their I training see. for therapists is you know they're all about yeah we're just trying to get people to good enough relationships which I is think a, that's di- nice yeah because their thing is like we're just trying to get it so that you can sit down and like have a cup of coffee together and have a good time <laughs> and not be at each other's throats wow. and i think they established that in contrast to a lot of other therapeutic models for working on relationships that are much more about you're going to heal all your trauma in this relationship mm. you're going to you're going to put to rest all your childhood demons in this relationship which i do think is possible but is also a lot of pressure to put on some relationships and so i have appreciated that gottman approach of we're just trying to get it to be good enough man and and that's a great segue into exactly why the good enough sex model exists and that's that we have ridiculous expectations put on us we're we're given ridiculous expectations we're given terrible sex education for the most part at least in this country right unrealistic yeah. ideas of what sex should be and if you think about anything out there that's marketed to people to have better sex it's always going to be like have the most amazing sex ever, Tantric be the best experience, sex. mind blowing. Yeah, right. All those things because that's how you sell shit. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, <laughs> that the doesn't actually lead us to have very healthy relationships with sex, and hence not healthy sex with each other or healthy relationships that have sex. Yeah, sometimes your sex 
doesn't need to be totally mind blowing. It just needs to be enjoyable and a place to connect with someone. And, you know, it come together, I think, in a, in a moment in time. And that doesn't necessarily mean like all the fireworks have to go off at once and it has to be the most mind blowing experience of your life. But I do feel as though I've, I've taught myself at times, like if it isn't that, every single time, then you're doing something wrong. So mm-hmm. I like this idea of this model for sure. Yeah, I think that sometimes that competes with what I've seen with, let's say, you know, later waves of feminism that are also wrapped up in the sex positivity movement is, I do think we come from a long history of women not enjoying the privilege of good sex or even good enough sex, right? Mm-hmm. A long history of women's pleasure really not being prioritized, especially in straight sex. And what that does lead to, though, is is I think then there's a lot of pressure on women then to be like, well, the sex has to be really good then. You know, Mm, like you have to have six orgasms. You have to just have your mind totally blown or even sex with yourself has to be incredibly, incredibly good and really mind blowing and earth shattering and amazing. And it's a little bit of that pendulum swing the other way, I suppose. And probably on guys, too, it's also challenging because they may feel like oh gosh if i don't come or if i can't get it up or something then i'm a terrible Mm -hmm. person yeah or if i don't give my female partner six orgasms yes exactly i'm a terrible person and it has to be six it can't just be one it has to be (laughs) multiple you know just all over the place yeah Uh, so another part of this is also thinking about pornography so Mm. We looked at this 2018 study called Personal Pornography Viewing and Sexual Satisfaction, a Quadratic Analysis. It started out sexy, less sexy by the end of that title. <laughs> they had to clarify, like, this is this has math in it. Don't worry. Like, don't worry. You can put your boners away right now. Jeez, <laughs> quadratic made me think of aquatic for some reason. I was like, now we're having sex underwater. Mm. Not okay, the same good, thing. Good. But that would have been cool, maybe. So this study looked at a sample of 1,500 young adults to develop an understanding of how pornography use is correlated with sexual satisfaction. And overall, they found that more frequent porn viewing was associated with lower sexual satisfaction. And here's a direct quote. Notably, under no circumstances was pornography use associated with greater sexual satisfaction. These findings, while correlational, suggest that even infrequent use of pornography has negative effects on sexual satisfaction. Now, again, I do appreciate that they clarify that this is correlative. It's not necessarily causative. It doesn't mean if you watch porn, that 100% means it's going to have a negative effect on your sex life, but they do find a correlation there. I also feel the need to get out in front right right away that I don't think anyone on this show is anti-porn necessarily or anti-porn performers or things like that. You know, I think there's definitely wonderful ways to ethically consume pornography and it can fit a really it can fit into a really wonderful role in your sex life with yourself or your sex life with a partner or multiple partners. But I think this is interesting. Like we're talking about the fact that there's so many influences that set us up to think that sex should be this particular way. And porn is one of those, especially mainstream porn. I think it's worth noting that that study was specifically 1500 young adults. And so I think that that when it's like, this is my sexual education, because for Mm. a lot of us, that's, where we got it because no one else was given it to us right (laughs) so that i think that is also significant it was like yeah i could absolutely see that if that's the impression you have of what this should be i'm going to be a lot less satisfied with how it is because i'm not going to be doing the right stuff i'm going to think everyone else isn't doing the right stuff like that makes sense 
as a young person, I think about like the porn that I consumed was, you know, very, very slow, like dial up porn <laughs> that people were just, yeah, it took like forever to load a page or whatever. But now, obviously, I mean, it's so very different. Yeah. It's so different. And just kids these days, you know, have it at their fingertips at any moment. And the lighting and everything like it's just all available to you so i think about the difference between the way that we grew up versus kids now and how this may be even more apparent with young people today i don't know it will be interesting though if and when they ever circle back to this study Mm. to think about now what we're seeing these days is i think a slow process where porn is becoming more and more, I don't know what the term is, maybe decentralized, perhaps. So this idea that it's no longer these studios that are producing this very mainstream content and we're going to particular places to get it. Like It's not like my only place to go is to pick up a Playboy. Now we're getting many more content creators. Yes, that's true. You know, people who themselves, you know, want to be porn performers or, or want to put that content out who are creating that content you know, more content that speaks to very particular kinks or particular fetishes. I mean, there's the explosion of OnlyFans. And that's not to say that because more quote-unquote amateur or like independent creators are creating it, that means that they're completely not influencing the way people expect sex to be or or that they don't uphold maybe some of our more unhelpful assumptions about what sex should be. But I am just curious to know how that's going to affect the next generation of young adults who maybe where their porn consumption was less mainstream because there's just more options. That's a really good point. Well, another 2018 study consuming ecstasy, colon, representations of male and female orgasm in mainstream pornography, looked at depictions of orgasms in the top 50 porn videos on Pornhub. I guess those are the only videos that are on Pornhub, porn videos. Only 18%, I I find this so fascinating and I have found this to be the case, absolutely. Only 18% of the women were depicted having orgasms compared to 78% of the men. And the female orgasms that did happen were almost entirely from vaginal or anal intercourse, which does not line up with the most common ways that women have orgasms in real life. Like, I don't know, toys, vibrators, personal fingers, it stuff like that personal not public Oral. fingers <laughs> yes sometimes public personally fingering <laughs> yes exactly uh, so basically from both of these studies and from what we're talking about porn doesn't necessarily set us up for success as sexual beings very well i think i also i read someone's opinion piece about how again the danger of mainstream pornography being someone's only sex education specifically if we're talking about young straight men who are watching porn of women in a lot of videos you know people are i mean they're, they're actors right you yeah. know not not all the time but sometimes it's someone's job right you know it's someone's job to do this and so that means that you're kind of seeding people Basically, the the article is making the case that you're training a generation of young men to be looking for the wrong cues in women Mm. sexually. You know, like they're seeing a lot of women who maybe don't have the micro expressions that a woman in real life would have when something's painful or pleasurable or whatever that you're you're training people to only see sex as a performance when there's two people who are performing and maybe it feels good, maybe it doesn't feel good, but either way, they're still doing it. And so it's kind of 
maybe perhaps dulling our ability to pick up on those cues from a partner, along with a bunch of other things. I don't know how yeah. accurate that feels. Maybe some people would, would disagree with that, but I do think it is interesting. Certainly. So so now enter good enough sex. So what a, the good what a enough sex. Pitch. Yeah. So the now. good enough sex model for couple satisfaction was the name of the the original paper that they published about this in Sexual and Relationship Therapy in 2007. And this is by doctors Michael Metz and Barry McCarthy. And they defined... Well, so first of all, they talked about how sexual dysfunction is incredibly common. Incredibly common. They cite a 1999 study that said 45% of couples at a given time suffer a male, female, or couple sex problem. So essentially saying... And again, they were studying at this point only cisgender heterosexual couples, but just that sexual dysfunction is very common. And so they said sexual dysfunction, rather than being just a physical problem, as some people think, or just a mental problem, as some people might think, that it's multi-causal and multi-dimensional, that there's a lot of different aspects that go into this. And in their paper, they emphasize that the satisfaction with one's sex life is grounded in realistic physical, psychological, and relationship expectations. So realistic expectations in all of those areas. The idea that perfect sexual performance is self-defeating because it's just not possible. And, and I what think does that even mean? Well, <laughs> what is that's, perfection? That's what you were talking about, Em, right? It's yeah. that idea of like, I'm able to get hard and stay hard whenever it's appropriate or like, you know, whenever I think that should be what I'm able to do. And for women, it's like always being however wet or being able to have an orgasm mm. however quickly or whatever, we put all sorts of pressure on ourselves for like what sexual performance is. And like Dedeker was talking about, it's a performance because if a lot of what we're learning is from porn, which is a performance, right? It's, you know, there's editing and cuts and takes and it's all fake, essentially. It's a performance. Maybe there's some reality to some of it, but it's still that. And when we put that on ourselves, it's self-defeating. So instead, if we can adopt this idea of good enough sex that recognizes that it's inherently variable, the quality of your sexual encounters as a couple is going to vary from encounter to encounter, going to vary over time. So you're saying that, you know, instead of expecting our sex to be like a Starbucks where if I walk into a Starbucks in New York or if I walk into a Starbucks in Oroville, California, where I grew up, okay. I'm going to get the same menu, probably the same quality and expect the same experience. That's more like my sex is walking into a different little boutique farm to table restaurant in every mm. single different city. That's how I think about that. That sounds sex. fun. Maybe other people, it's more of like, you know, I it's roll up in the local. I, yeah, you're getting a, a very bougie experience. Well, okay, in your but sex. maybe sometimes, but maybe sometimes I want to go into the the pink's hot dogs of sex. I don't know. That's oh, a there bad you example. go. <laughs> <laughs> I think this has gotten away from you a little bit. Here. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, that was kind of a euphemistic example, but yes, but it, it was okay, good. But okay, was maybe good. like going to a restaurant instead of going to a chain. There you go. Yes. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, going to yeah. a local restaurant in a any location cafe. instead of a chain. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it's great for different reasons. Sometimes it's terrible for different reasons. <laughs> yes. There you go. It's okay. not a Starbucks. Sure. Okay. We'll give I'm it just a gonna, try. I'm going to walk away. No, I love it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So basically, the model it frames sex as a path to intimacy, pleasure, 
mutual emotional acceptance, playfulness, spiritual connection, special bonding, and that it's not just an isolated fragment of your life. It's not like sex is over here and the rest of our relationship and our lives is over here, but rather all of it's incorporated together. That your sex life affects your day-to-day life and is related to it and is a part of it. And likewise, what's going on in your life affects your sex life and all of that's Mm. intertwined for each of you and for you together. Why does that feel so... I mean, without overselling it, there's something about that sentiment that feels like revolutionary to say. That's really lovely, yeah. Yeah, maybe there's something about growing up in a very sex-negative culture where we do want to siphon off and hermetically seal away sex. Well, it's it's even... I mean, how people... Yeah, I, I mean, you grew up clearly in religious communities or a religious lifestyle in your home, and I think that there's probably a lot of baggage there with that. But also, I mean, even when we started polyamorous journeys, people were like, oh, well, don't talk about it because that's what happens in the bedroom. So it's, again, that sort of six sex negative idea that this is something that you do over here and not that it's incorporated into your life. And again, it's just yeah. a facet of a relationship, but it is an important integral part of many people's relationship. And if I'm having a shitty time at work for a long period of time, then that's absolutely going to make me feel less inclined to maybe have sex with you at that particular moment or for a a particular period of time. And that should be acknowledged. And I think that should be okay. And and going the opposite direction, how much potential there is for bad sex or a bad sexual connection or good sex or a good sexual connection to bleed over into the rest of your daily life and maybe make things better or worse, Hmm. feel more depressed, feel more joyful, all those things. That's a good point. Yeah, I think also just the idea that sex, like the sex part of your relationship isn't just something you turn on at one point and then turn it off for the rest of your life, which again, I think leads to that whole thing of like, I just not feeling it because it's like you're trying to do this hard shift into just zero to 60 all of a sudden rather than this is a a part and sort of an aspect of our relationship all the time. And yeah, it is kind of it is kind of revolutionary to think about it. We might have to process that as we're going through the dimensions of good enough sex. So as we said, the original paper it was mostly focused on heterosexual cisgender couples, but one of the authors, Barry McCarthy, has addressed this in an interview in 2018. And so I'm going to quote from that interview. There's an interesting thing about being in the sex field in that you're often addressing two very different audiences. And I think that's the challenge of modern sex therapy in 2018. It is how you talk to the traditional people, you know, people who value traditional marriages, traditional monogamy, and try to keep sex healthy and alive within that framework. And at the same time, you want to respect diversity, how you honor people who are not traditional, how you honor not just sexual orientation or gender, but others who choose consensual non-monogamy or people who value sexual friendships rather than life commitments. And it isn't up to me. The way I describe it, it isn't the right or wrong approach. It is what is the right fit for that person and their relationship. I'll give some points to Barry McCarthy for that one. At least he could Good recognize job, that. Well done. Good job, Bear. He is trying. Good job, Kevin. Yes. All righty. Let's do it. We have teased it long enough. Let us get into the 12 dimensions of good enough sex and see if they can improve all of our sex lives. Yeah, so McCarthy and Metz 
essentially created this to be a model for therapists to use when working with couples who are struggling with sexual dysfunction, basically in a way that wasn't medicalized. So we're not looking at the dysfunction and just prescribing a pill, just treating it like it's a illness or like a medical problem, but we're looking at these much more cognitive behavioral factors that can be influenced to help alleviate the sexual dysfunction. So I love that. This is a really... I think, nice framework and sort of pivot away from this idea that sex is this sort of other thing that we don't talk about and that we don't acknowledge as a part of our life. And so many people do that. I mean, so many of us grow up with our parents, you know, not wanting to talk about sex or talking about it in this really stilted, unfortunate (laughs) manner, and then having a lot of shame and baggage around it. And I think that to move away from that is a really lovely idea and sort of these ideas that we have of sex positivity, of taking away stigma, of taking away baggage, embracing diversity of sexual expression, things like that are something that we can really move towards, especially with this first pillar. So sexologist Sarah Melanson, PhD, with the Sex Toy Collective said, Historically, it was common for sex to be viewed from a moralistic, based in sin, or medicalized, based in sickness or disease framework. Through these lenses, otherwise natural and healthy sexual desires and behaviors are something to be repressed, controlled, or cured. So I think, yeah, even even if our lives didn't consist of hearing those words exactly as we were growing up, I think many of us still kind of internalize that idea because sex, again, is seen as either something medical, something that you don't talk about, something that happens between a married couple only, things like that. And to or have like desire if you, is not Yeah, okay. if you want something that you don't think is normal, then it's yeah. like something must be wrong with me or this is sinful or yeah, it's like all that kind of baggage that, that comes with it. Yeah. That gets so, in the way of communicating honestly and clearly. Totally. So I love this like overarching initial framework of saying it's normal, it's invaluable, it happens as an individual and as a couple, and you know it's a good thing. So be happy about it, be excited about it. All right. The second dimension of good enough sex is relationship and sexual satisfaction are the ultimate developmental focus and are essentially intertwined. So. The basically, this is kind of what we were talking about before about not separating relationship from sex, that those aren't like two individual aspects, that it's all intertwined with your life. And something that they talk about in this one is the idea that the couple is an, a quote, intimate team. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I still love that. It makes me imagine a lot of high fives going on. <laughs> I don't sex. know if I've ever high fived during sex, but I like the idea of. Yeah. I have, but, okay. but we don't have to get cool. into that. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, and this is getting into that idea that sex is something you're doing together. I think that's what they're getting at with the teamwork. That sex is something you're doing together rather than I'm performing sex and you're performing sex hmm. and we're both performing it for each other. Or like I'm focused internally on like, I've got to get it just right. I've got to be so good, so sexy. But instead, like we're a team. You know, we have this shared goal of intimacy and pleasure together. 
And it reminds me of one of my favorite little comics that I've seen floating around the internet. There's this couple in bed and one of them says to the other, do you think we should try experimenting in the bedroom? And then in the next panels, they're there like with some beakers and some bugs and burners <laughs> and like like right. taking measurements and stuff like that. And they feed it into a computer and the printout is like, oh, the results are sexy. But, you know, it's like a silly <laughs> wordplay. But what I really like about the comic is this, it's the teamwork right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. we're a team of scientists now trying to get to the bottom of what's going to be sexy, what can we play with, what's going to feel good. And I, I do think that, yeah, there's a lot of messaging in our culture that's not about sex that happens between us, but it's it's like, yeah, it is that sexual performance of each individual person. And I've mm-hmm. definitely been in moments in my life, in sexual moments where it feels like very not intimate and it feels like you're miles away from the other person even yeah. though you're in this like super intimate act of bodies entwined and yet like you're not you're emotionally not with each other at all so yeah yeah and i think that's i like that idea too that dedeker mentioned of like experimenting that it's like this is something we're exploring together rather than it's something i need to know how to do well enough to do it to you good mm, right mm-hmm. that, that that's a very different way of thinking and i know it sounds silly when i say it that way but that's very much at least how i grew up thinking about sex like when i look back on it it's like oh yeah it was more of this like i'm doing a thing to someone or they're doing something to me rather than we are doing something together mm-hmm the third dimension here is realistic, age-appropriate sexual expectations are essential to sexual satisfaction. So this, I think, goes back to some of the stuff we talked about with porn giving us unrealistic expectations, or even not even porn, but just the way movies portray sexy guys or sexy women and the way they approach sex. Again, in kind of this performative way where they never have a problem, it's always great, and if we ever see someone who has a problem performing in sex, that's like a sign that something's wrong with their relationship, right? If you think Mm -hmm. about TV shows or movies you watch, like that's kind of the trope, right? It's like, oh, well, clearly the relationship has a problem or something. So the authors are very critical of the way that the media exaggerates that sexual reality for the purposes of marketing and for selling it, right? Even people who sell books on sexuality is like, have the best sex ever. And that's just not realistic. And so instead, recognizing stuff like having sexual problems are common and that that's just a normal part of life, that there might just be times where it's just not going to work. Either, you know, physically, mentally, it's a combination of those or not able to have orgasm or that you might enjoy it more at some times than others and that that's normal. I think keeps us from this like gloom and doom scenario that I've definitely been in of kind of spiraling mm. in the sense of, oh God, something's wrong with me. Maybe the relationship's wrong. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because I didn't know it was just normal. Yeah. It makes me think a few months ago, I don't know. I don't know what I was feeding the algorithm to get served up these ads, but I started getting advertisements for, I forget the name of it, and that's okay because I'm not going to give them a free plug on the show or whatever, but Uh whatever is the latest drug marketed to women for dealing with low libido. And so I was getting marketed, like getting that marketed to me combined with also some ads regarding like herbal supplements you can take. And it was a lot of these 
usually middle-aged women used in the ads that were saying things like, oh, it's, it feels like when we just started dating for the first time. And it always made me really deeply uncomfortable mm. because I, I guess there's a certain part of me that's like, well, I don't know if it's realistic to feel exactly the same way that you felt sexually when you started dating someone especially if that happened when you started dating in your early 20s and it was the beginning of the relationship <laughs> right. and you were full of NRE and now 20, 25 years later for the sex to feel exactly that same way. And that doesn't mean that you can't seek to want to improve your sex life. I'm all about that, you know, being critical of, of your sex life and your sexual approach and how it feels and wanting to have more pleasure. Like that's great. But and on top of it, I was kind of like, well, honestly, I think you can get that if you start dating someone new. <laughs> You know, there's <laughs> well, there's sure. also that that I think it's completely completely overlooked in a lot of these discussions is they find that women, if anything, in research studies, crave novelty and variety more than men do, even though we've been socialized to think it's the opposite. And so I do think there's a lot of women out there who think there's some problem with them because they can't mm. sexually respond in the same way to the person they've been with for 20 years monogamously, where, you know, maybe they probably would if if there was someone new. Jason, I talked about this recently, but the idea of like getting back to how things once were or returning to like the idea of a relationship as it once was is not really practical or real because we all move in our relationships and evolve and change. And who we were, you know, 10 years ago is definitely not the same as we are now. So I don't know. I think that's unfortunate and understandable that a lot of these you know, ads out there are saying, oh, get back to the way things once were, have as good of sex as you did when you were, you know, in your 20s or whatever. But it's just not particularly realistic. And I don't think it should be the goal of of couples because you're going to change and that's totally fine. And now moving on to number four. So the fourth dimension, the fourth dimension. I know. <laughs> Amazing. Is you can really do some kinky stuff when you're playing around with temporal <laughs> dimensions and wormholes. Flying through Done. the air. Done. Move on yeah. to number five. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so number four, good physical health and healthy behavioral habits are vital for sexual health. Individuals value theirs and their partner's sexual body. I'm going to, they didn't put this caveat on there, but I'm going to go ahead and put the caveat on there that it's good physical health for your body. You know your body best. You know, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all. You know, the article cites cardio and weightlifting and things like that, but that's not always accessible to people or enjoyable to people. And so just things that help take care of your body and your body function in the way that you know is best. And some of that also includes getting access to physical relaxation. It doesn't necessarily mean that for sex, we need to be just like a lump, limp puddle. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen <laughs> that advice, especially given to women. Really? Like, oh, you just need to relax. Be a you limp just need to puddle? relax. You just need to relax. Just relax. Relax and it'll happen. You know, relax and the orgasm will happen. And like, no, that's not always the case, you know. But having access to a certain amount of relaxation and not completely being tense and not completely having your walls up is foundational for pleasure and sexual function as well. And a part of this is body positivity as well in being loving or at least kind, if not loving, to your own body in addition to your lover's body as well. So we're going to continue on with the rest of the dimensions of good enough sex. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that you can support this show if this is 
something that you're valuing, if this is information that you want to allow us to keep making and getting out there to the world, to everyone for free, take a moment to check out our sponsors. And that really goes a long way to support our show. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And now we have arrived at the fifth dimension. Wow, (laughs) really just (laughs) up-leveling. Yeah, I I love it. I love it. Okay, this one is, oh, it's another relaxation one. Relaxation is the foundation for pleasure and function. So we just said that like, yeah, being a puddle is not necessarily the thing, but it can help relaxing is probably a better state to be in than a big old tense, scared state in terms of sex, which I think baggage and overall just like having a bit of sex negativity in general can probably cause you to not feel very relaxed about the situation. This is a quote from the paper. It is counterproductive, for example, for a man to pressure himself to achieve perfect sexual performance. In fact, it's important to not work too hard sexually because to facilitate function, one does well to relax both mind and body amidst the sexual pleasuring. Striving for perfection undermines physiological and psychological relaxation, producing performance pressure and anxiety. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if you put that on yourself and I've got to say, I've, I've been in many like first date scenarios or not necessarily first date, but scenarios where you're about to have sex with someone for the first time and it doesn't happen. It like the guy doesn't get it up. And that, mm-hmm. and I definitely as a, as a young person found that to be really stressful for both parties involved for me and for the dude. Cause yeah, it was like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking up. They don't like me. And the guy was probably like, shit, I screwed up here. And, yeah, yeah yep. exactly. So it's and a lot of same, pressure. The same thing happens on the other side of it, too. If a guy is really focused on not coming too soon, mm. he's more likely to do that. That, really? that it's that like you're putting pressure on that. And so your mind is on it. You're not enjoying the rest of your sensation, which ironically 
can, you know, just like sexual dysfunction in any direction. Yeah. Is exacerbated by putting this pressure on yourself. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us on either side of it put a lot of pressure on, oh, well, I'm going to get upset because maybe it's about me because you couldn't do something sexually and then maybe they feel bad or one person tries to be cool with the others. It's like both of you have to be be cool, <laughs> be, be relaxed <laughs> be about cool. it. And I think that's yeah. why, again, to go back to the teamwork thing, I think that that applies here, right? It's like you both have to come in with this knowledge to best take advantage of it, I think. Yeah, I dated someone for quite a while, for like six months, and we never were able to have sex. It just never happened. We tried, Mm -hmm. and I think there was so much built up over not being able to do it over and over and over again that it just never happened. And it was unfortunate, but it it was what it was. Well, to, to speak to, I think, a point that kind of falls under this dimension is... Well, they mentioned like goal-oriented sex, right? Yeah. And I think that covers a pretty wide range because it could be the goal of I need to maintain an erection. It could be a goal of I need to have a particular type of orgasm at a particular time or, you know, particularly having penetrative sex itself sure. can be the goal Maybe that shouldn't have been well. the goal. Yeah. Right. You know, when yeah. of course there's so many other types of way to sexually connect out there. Exactly. But, but PIV is the real sex. And so that's the yeah. one that counts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the issue. Yeah. And I think unfortunately, like we didn't explore any of those other types either, which was really too bad. And perhaps the relationship could have lasted longer, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. All right. Dimension six, pleasure is as important as function. And so this one is kind of interesting. They brought up a study from 2006 about couples trying to get pregnant by having sex at specific times, according to the, you know, the menstrual cycles of the woman. Friends do this. Oh boy. Right. To have, and they've found that couples trying to do that have higher incidences of erectile dysfunction because the focus is shifting from pleasure and enjoying time together to a result, right? It's like gotta get a baby. only focused on the function yeah. and that it actually makes it really hard to even do the function. It's kind of sort of like what we were just talking about, but even like really clearly spelled out. It's interesting because I think a lot of people are taught that like sex has a function only as in you're, mm. you're having sex to procreate and that's what it is. And that's like, you know, heterosexual sex, that's the reason behind it. And if you're not doing that, then I don't know, then that that kind of sex is not okay or whatever. I think that's that's more maybe what our grandparents thought, but but yeah. Some so, of that baggage is still around probably. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it really honestly the vast majority of sex that we're having is probably not gonna be for procreation, even if you are in a <laughs> cis couple. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we have a quote here from Shan Boudram, who's an intimacy educator, and they point out the fact that, of course, the majority of sex today isn't about procreation, and particularly, you know, orgasm numbers for women skyrocket in same-sex partnerships compared to heterosexual partnerships. Because when you're in a same-sex partnership, there's nothing to prove necessarily as far as like being able to procreate. It's about what feels good. That's not to say that queer relationships don't have any sexual dysfunction whatsoever, but it does show that when we remove some of that possibility that it can shift things. 
I think that sometimes, unfortunately, now orgasming has started to fall under the the heading of function. Sometimes that's a good point. Yeah, you know, goal oriented. Yeah, yeah. Again, the goal oriented where it isn't really about pleasure because what's pleasurable to you may not at all get you to orgasm, but mm. it still could be really mm. good. What's pleasurable to you could not even involve your genitals, but still could be really, really good. And I do appreciate that. Within the sex positive movement, I see a lot of educators moving more towards this very pleasure focused approach to sex rather than a goal-focused approach to sex. I think it's hard to undo some of that when we've been following those same scripts for so long. And yeah. it's hard to undo letting ourselves feel pleasure or ask for pleasure, even if it doesn't look in very traditional ways. But that's maybe a whole other episode for another time. Yeah. Moving on to the seventh dimension. My mind is just blown by all these dimensions. So many dimensions. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So seventh dimension of good enough sex, realizing that sexual experiences will naturally vary and some will be better than others, but that is totally normal and to be expected. Specifically, there's some research study as well as, you know, clinical experience that indicates that sexually satisfied couples that have quote unquote regular sex, so one to two times per week, that they rate the sexual experience as very good only about 20 to 25% of the time. They rate it as good about 40 to 60% of the time fair but unremarkable 15 to 20% of the time and dissatisfying dissatisfying or dysfunctional 5 to 15% of the time. So the majority mm. is is good, good enough. Yeah, but I think it's important <laughs> it's what we to should note be shooting that for. <laughs> even in these couples that are satisfied, it's the whole range too. Mm. And yes. I think that's that's where it wasn't like 0 to something percent of the time for the dissatisfying or dysfunctional. It's like no, 5% is kind of the minimum on this scale here. So it's like, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's completely understandable and a-okay. Now, time for the eighth dimension. This is a list. The five purposes for sex are integrated into the couple's sexual relationship. And the five purposes are reproduction, so that's potentially one, but not necessarily, uh, tension and anxiety reduction, sensual enjoyment and pleasure, self-esteem and confidence, and then relationship closeness and satisfaction. And these goals fluctuate in in importance over time and may differ across partners. Something I thought was really cool, actually, in the paper when they were talking about this was, again, the idea that your sex life and the rest of your life are all intertwined with each other. They're kind of mentioning that as a couple, there could be times where, say, your your life is really stressful for some reason. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do sex mostly focused on just getting that tension out, right? It's like mm-hmm. just anxiety reduction. That's kind of the purpose it's serving. Whereas other times it might be, you know, we're going to really focus on being sensual and enjoying each other. And that those are both totally valid ways to go about it. Sometimes it is like we want to show each other that we think we're sexy, like that these are all okay and that all of this can be intertwined uh, and that and it'll vary. You know, sometimes you might want one purpose over another. Yeah. Yeah. With couples that I work with, I mean, I'm not a sex therapist and I don't focus on sexual issues specifically, but when people bring that to me, that is often one of the first questions that I invite people to ask themselves in a moment when they want to reach out to their partner for sex is looking at what's actually going on inside me. What am I seeking right now? Because it could be different if I'm feeling a moment of, I feel insecure and not sexy. And I like the idea of my partner finding me sexy. 
or I'm feeling really stressed out and I just want something to take my mind off of it for a little while. And sometimes sprinkling in that little bit of meta communication can either help, again, if you and your partner are being a sexy team about this, can help you make decisions about the kind of sex that you have. Or if one of you doesn't want sex, you can still be pursuing that goal, right? You know, you can still mm-hmm. be thinking about, okay, well, I don't necessarily feel like having sex or feel like having this particular kind of sex, but what can we do to help you feel sexy or feel like I'm attracted to you in this moment or feel like I'm close to you in this moment? And having that curiosity to get down to your purpose in seeking a sexual connection in that moment can be very valuable. Yeah. It's lovely. All right. The ninth dimension is to integrate and flexibly use the three sexual arousal styles. Oh my. Yet another list within a list. So here's the three <laughs> sexual arousal styles. According that they to identified. them. Uh, yes, according to them. This is what they them. identified. So the first category is what they call partner interaction, which they clarify is this is what we see mostly on TV, which is that each partner's arousal plays off of the other. Like, oh, I'm seeing how sexy you are, and that's what's making me aroused. Hmm. Right? That that's that's number one. The second of the arousal styles is self-entrancement, which is where your arousal focuses on your own body as the source of pleasure and central arousal, right? Focusing on what you're feeling, things like that. And then the third one is role enactment, which is arousal that focuses on fantasy, on role play variety, experimentation, that it's... that I think it's kind of interesting the way they broke these down into these three here. What do you think I would I would argue there's more. I mean, there's different ways that people think about arousal styles. For instance, people talk about spontaneous desire versus responsive desire. So as in, you know, my sexual arousal shows up all of a sudden one day and I'm just like, ooh, I'm Hmm. horny and I want to do something about it versus having more responsive sense of desire, which is it takes me a a little while to warm up maybe with stimulation, maybe with relaxing, maybe with getting close to my partner. There's also, you know, the erotic blueprints, which is very popular. So, I mean, I'm taking this, I don't want to attach too tightly to their predefined three sexual arousal styles. I feel like the spirit of this is just kind of integrate and flexibly use your different arousal styles that are present in the relationship. First of all, get curious about what they are for each other and then think about ways that we can really maximize our strengths as far as how we get aroused. Uh Yeah. And I think also maybe realizing I'm just mostly been focused on this one. Maybe I should see what it's like to experience these other ones. I think that's kind of what they're getting at there. Yeah. Yeah, I I like the integration of this role enactment because it seems like, okay, this is, you know, what we do together. This is what we do separately because we're probably going to be masturbating and and having sexual experiences outside of just the ones that we have together. But then also this idea of like being other people or having role play. Like I like that idea. It's like, okay, we're, we're taking a break from our own selves and creating something together that's kind of like unique and fun as separate individuals. I don't know. Obviously, yeah, yeah people have many different types of of role play or many different types of sexual arousal excitement styles, but it's an interesting way that they chose to break this down. The 10th dimension, gender differences are respectfully valued and similarities mutually accepted. This is so fascinating. You know, I think it's fairly apparent to know that all of us as 
sexual beings have been socialized in particular ways to perform in particular ways during sex. You know, especially for a lot of women, there's a lot of emphasis on you are the thing being consumed. So therefore, you need to be attractive. You need to be desirable. It's not really about you desiring someone else or wanting someone else. Like you are the thing that's that's being taken in and consumed. And men might be socialized to to treat be women as like the gatekeepers of sex, be the consumer, mm. be the objectifier to a certain extent. And I don't say those things with any necessarily any moral judgment attached to it. This is just what our culture has ingrained in us, fortunately, unfortunately. So it's important to not only accept that that conditioning is there, you know, and, and this can be in a straight relationship or not in a straight relationship. I think it doesn't matter. We all carry some baggage and some conditioning about how we think that we're supposed to be showing up during sex and respecting that while also allowing ourselves to step outside of that as well. You know, I think that I know for me, when I finally started realizing the ways that I'd been conditioned as a woman growing up in in this particular culture to, yeah, to seek being desired, being complimented, being taken in and not really focusing on like, what do I want to consume? What do I want for my partner? How do I want to take pleasure in my partner's body? That both allowed me to see the areas in myself where actually the way I've been conditioned kind of works for me and does mm. make me feel aroused. And I really like it. And also be able to break against that and do other things, give myself permission to not act in those ways. And so I think there's something really special about that in my experience of, I mean, sort of getting the best of both worlds, honestly, that it's not about completely trashing the ways that I've been socialized to get aroused, but also being able to incorporate that into much more of a pastiche <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. My yeah, sexual pastiche. As Indeed. Great. Great. Love that. Yeah. Um, on this one, the authors also mention that specifically as you're aging, too, that will also change it. That you might have a different relationship to those sexual roles as you get older, too. And so just, again, being aware of it, being able to step outside of it while also respecting what's going on, I think is is really important. All right. The 11th dimension. Sex is integrated into real life, and real life is integrated into sex. Sexuality is developing, growing, and evolving throughout life. We kind of talked about this a little bit before, but yeah, essentially, especially talking about age and if we're with someone for a long period of time, your sex is going to change a ton over the period of your relationship and over the period of your life, and that's totally fine. And also, your life circumstances are going to change. Maybe there are going to be moments of incredible stress in your life. I mean, even like going through this pandemic right now, thinking about how many of us are living with someone and we don't really get to like not be around them as often as perhaps <laughs> we would have. Exactly. Right. And, and so perhaps sex is less important during that time simply because, you know, you're like, well, I, I see you all the time. <laughs> interested right now or perhaps right. that's a, a great way for you to to connect and and to feel intimacy when you're not getting it as much so i don't know there's there's a lot of points in, i think in a person's life that sex is going to change and evolve and ebb and flow and that's totally fine this is a quote from the mayo clinic on sexual satisfaction and aging Many couples want to know how to get back to the sexual arousal and activity levels that they experienced in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s. 
Instead, find ways to optimize your body's response for sexual experiences now. Ask yourself what's satisfying and mutually acceptable. That's lovely. Mutually <laughs> acceptable. Funny image of that. What kind of sex did you like to have today? Well, I was thinking that like this. Oh, that would be mutually acceptable to me. <laughs> mutually acceptable, very... perhaps even beneficial. Yes. Yeah. Quite. Good luck in the coming business year. Past That's good. Dedeker. <laughs> Yeah, we should incorporate that into our sex lives more. Good luck in the coming business here. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. Hey man, daily life is part of sex and sex is part of daily yeah. life. So there you I, go. Think, I think it's a sign, Jace. Beautiful. All right. And then the final dimension. The we 12th dimension it. here. And that's that sexuality is personalized. It can be playful, spiritual, and special. Oh. The, the quote from the paper, they say, the idiosyncratic nature of couples' playfulness during sexual interaction, such as affirming teasing or nicknames for sexual body parts, <laughs> adds uniqueness to the couple's sexual experiences and personalizes the bedroom and makes it special. Mm. It's, <laughs> they feel like their examples are a little bit silly, but that's the point, right? It's about embracing kind of the playfulness and silliness that makes your relationship unique, your sexual play and relationship unique. I love that. Lovely. Well, like, like the fact that Dedeker and I always say, good luck in the coming business year. <laughs> you know, that's very <laughs> unique. At the end that. of every sexual <laughs> At act. the end of every sexual encounter, yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. sometimes <laughs> at the beginning too. It's, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't understand it, but I don't have to because it's your unique sexual experience. I mean, right. it is funny because I do think Jason and I, try to make a lot of effort to distinguish our coworker and business co-owner relationship from our personal romantic relationship. Yeah. You know, we try to do that, but maybe we've been going about it all wrong. Maybe yeah, we need we'll to go the other direction <laughs> to just muddle it all together and yeah, and bring some of and that frame, energy. Frame everything as like a business proposal. Or wow. <laughs> I don't know. There's something nice about separation of work and life, but y'all yeah. do y'all, you know? Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Well, should we do a little recap of all of yes. these real quick? Yeah. Okay. Let's just go through all of those 12 dimensions for people okay. to, to get those takeaways. All right. The first one, sex is a good element in life, an invaluable part of an individual's and couple's long-term comfort, intimacy, pleasure, and confidence. Two, Relationship and sexual satisfaction are the ultimate developmental focus and are essentially intertwined. The couple is an intimate team. Yay. Three, realistic age-appropriate sexual expectations are essential for sexual satisfaction. Four, good physical health and healthy behavioral habits are vital for sexual health. Five, relaxation is the foundation for pleasure and function. Six, pleasure is as important as function. Oh, I see. Those kind of built off of one another. Seven, realizing that sexual experiences will naturally vary and some will be better than others, but that is totally normal and to be expected. Eight, the five purposes for sex are integrate and flexibly use the three sexual arousal styles. Again, go back and listen. Ten, gender differences are respectfully valued and similarities mutually accepted. 11, sex is integrated into real life and real life is integrated into sex. Sexuality is developing, growing, and evolving throughout life. And finally, 12, sexuality is personalized. Sex can be playful, spiritual, special. Wow. Yeah, Love I hope it. everybody goes out there and has good enough sex. Yeah. Yeah. Just has to be yeah. good enough. 
have those more reasonable expectations. I wish someone had told me that years ago. I think it mm. could have saved me a lot of heartache. Yeah, all of us. So we're going to be going and recording a bonus episode where we're going to talk about how what we even define as sex can impact our pleasure. And we'll look at some studies about that as well as just kind of chatting more about this whole topic here. On our Instagram, we're going to be posting our weekly question. This week is, how do you reduce performance pressure on yourself during sex? I think that's a really important thing. And I'm curious to hear what kinds of ways people have come up with. Also, if you want to discuss this episode further, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or our Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Research for this episode was by Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 